coffee with Paul uh, Johnson um, about three months ago. It was before Christmas, before he'd had uh, his operation. And as we were talking, I realized that he had a, something on his heart that I felt was going to be beneficial for all of us. And Paul's preached a few times, but not recently. But actually, his father, I don't know whether Des is here today. Are you here, Des? Yep, there he is. Stand up, Des, so we can, so we can see you. Here too. <laughs> Cheers. Des has preached here many, many times, but we're going back years and years. But he has, is a man who has invested himself into St. Albans Baptist. Thank you. Over the years, so many times. So, Paul, you're just really continuing what your dad has well mm. and truly been doing in the church here. But I wonder if we can just welcome him as Paul comes to speak to us about the abundant life that we have in Christ. It was actually dad that taught me how to preach. So... To start off with, this sermon has three starting points for me, which I think it's important that I share with you first so you can understand where I'm coming from. The first was a message that John preached quite a while ago now um, about shifting head knowledge to heart knowledge. The 350 millimeter journey, that's the distance between the center of your forehead to the center of your heart. It was nothing new. I'd heard it preached on before. I'd even preached on it myself. But this particular day, I had to. I had a laugh at my. Actually, it was. It was a scoff. It was a bit sarcastic. It was like, yeah, that's fine. But how do you keep heart knowledge? Heart knowledge. And I suddenly had to stop and have a look at myself, and have a deep look at myself. Why was it that God had to keep revealing to me the same truths time and time again? Why did I feel like I had to keep taking that same trip around the mountain just to finish off at the same starting point? There didn't really seem to be much growth. The second was something that happened to me at last year's Promise Keepers event. Now, I'll share more about that later. And the third was my own cave experience, as Robert shared last week. Most of you know, it, actually, the last eight years has been really rough for Rowana and I, starting with the earthquakes, uh, reasons for having to leave our old church, my mum falling sick and her, uh, her subsequent death, and then my own medical issues leading up to my surgery last year. It was a real winter period for us. Things are starting to change. It's finally starting to look like spring for us. We're looking at summer coming. We have a joy that's coming up in our hearts that we didn't have last year. But it's here now. Now, the last few Sundays... Pastor John, Robert, Graham Perkis have all touched on what I'm going to be speaking about today. Graham uh, actually used two of the people that I want to use as my examples. Um, so I'm feeling really encouraged about this because I know I'm speaking about something that the Lord has for us today. Right? He has for us this year. It's something that he wants us to get hold of. 
So let's start. Two pieces of scriptures I want to start with, if we can have the, ah, the first slide's already up. Good. So let's start with this piece of scripture. John 10, 10. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And then right at the end of John, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> Two pieces of scripture, both equally true and equally correct. Now, we can prove that quite simply here. Put up your hands if you've ever experienced trouble in this life. <laughs> Good, that's 98% of us. 2% margin of error, of course. Jesus said he came to give us life and that we should have it in abundance. He also said that we would have trouble. Now, we've just shown that we all know what trouble is. We all know the truth, the truth of it. Financial trouble, emotional trouble, spiritual trouble, relationship trouble, work trouble, school trouble. We've had it all. The fact is, today, our lives are busier than they've ever been in any past period of human life. We can fill up our days with so much stuff. Our days are full with work, with school, with sport, with exercise, with Facebook, with Twitter, with Snapchat, with church, with church ministry. Right? Take, and then for us who are parents, we've got to take our kids to their things. They've got sport. They've got commitments. They've got youth group. Right? And then if you're married, you've got to make time for your partner. And then they tell us that it's not enough just having date nights with your partner. As a father, you've got to have date nights with each and every one of your children so they have special one-on-one -on -one time. I've got five kids. There's only so many days in a week. <laughs> and all it means is at the end of the day, we finish tired and miserable, and we wonder why we don't have any energy. Who feels like that? Yeah? Sometimes? So, trouble is a real constant in our lives. We know it's there. We know we're going to experience it. So if that's true, maybe this life is just to be endured. Maybe we must struggle and persevere in our life to inherit that abundant, the abundant life that Jesus talks about in heaven. Maybe it's there that we get the abundant life. Maybe we should endure our struggle with religious humility. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> Maybe we should struggle with religious humility. Being thankful that God is testing us and refining us so that we might be worthy of being saved. And maybe to question God and complain about what's happening in our lives today is a sin against God and his divine plan. Who's heard this? Unfortunately, I once had a, had a pastor 
tell me something very similar in a Christian church. It was not fun. Can we have the next slide up, please? This teaching was big way back in the, rest, in the, in the Reformation. And we've been preaching about the abundant life ever since. John Calvin, he said that he, Jesus, declares that life is continually increased and strengthened in those who do not revolt from him. In other words, if we remain faithful to Jesus Christ, he will remain faithful to us, and he will strengthen us. And indeed, that greater progress that any man makes in faith the more nearly does he approach to fullness of life because of the Spirit, who is life, grows in him. So three keys to an abundant life is being faithful to God and growing in the Holy Spirit. Calvin believed that every Christian with the Holy Spirit inside of them could experience this abundant life on earth. Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher and theologian, preached on it. Next slide, please. He said, Jesus has come that those whom he has given life may have it more abundantly. Life is a matter of degrees. Some have life, but it flickers like a dying candle and is indistinct as the fire in the smoking flax. Others are full of life and are bright and vehement like the fire upon the blacksmith's forge when the bellows are at full blast. Christ has come that his people may live in all its fullness. I love this imagery. I love the imagery that Spurgeon uses throughout all his preaching. But this one, if you've ever seen a blacksmith's forge operate, or even just a coal fire when it's been banked at night, Right, It's banked up, it's just smouldering away, there's a little bit of heat, there's a little bit of smoke, but when you open up the vents and you allow that oxygen to flow into a coal fire, or if you work those bellows, right, get the air flowing, that coal gets hotter and hotter. Right, It's got a glow to it. It's got such a heat that it transforms metal. It softens metal so we can take it and we can shape it and we can make things. This is the sort of life that Jesus wants inside of us, a transforming fire that fills us, that changes our lives. One of the other examples that Spurgeon uses is like a young child when they learn to walk. They crawl, they totter, they stand up. Reminds me of one of my children. They did the bum shuffle. I, it's, I absolutely loved watching them do it. They would sit on the ground like this, and somehow, I'm not sure how, the leg would go out in front of them, and they'd pull themselves across the floor. They could get quite quick when they did it. They could go from one side to the other, get to where they wanted to go, pull themselves up on the chair. It was really great to watch. But what would have happened if they stayed in that position? What would happen if, as adults, that's how we used to get round places? We would get there, 
We would accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, but we'd still be dragging our bottoms on the floor. Whereas you get up, you walk, there's a fullness there, which you didn't have before when you were crawling. There's a fullness of experience. You can experience things better. The other example that Spurgeon uses is a man who is sick and has been healed. We all know what it's like to be in sick when you're in bed, you can't move, your body aches, you can't do anything, you really, uh, right, you're alive, but you really don't want to be. Whereas when you're healed and you get better, and one of the points which has really only become apparent to me this morning, actually, you've all heard about my, um, my surgery, where I was last year, the amount of drugs I had to take and everything else just to keep the pain levels down. I had to live with a certain amount of pain because if I had too many drugs to take away the pain, then I couldn't function. But if I didn't have any drugs, I was in so much pain, I couldn't function. So I had to get that level right. I could go to work, I could do what I wanted to do at work, but then I had to come home and there wasn't really much scope for anything else. Right? Since I've had the operation, don't have to take drugs. I don't have the pain. I lost 8 kg just by stopping the drugs, which was fantastic. But this morning I can stand here, I can talk to you without shaking, right? But also, before the surgery, I wouldn't have been able to wear these headphones because the pressure that it's putting on my ear would have been way too much to handle. So because of that surgery, because of what God has given the surgeons, I have more of an abundant life because I can wear these headphones. And it can be just as simple as that. Can I have that second slide up, please? Spurgeon went on to say, the spiritual life is the same which will be continued and perfected, perfected in heaven. I want to make it very clear today that salvation and the abundant life is for us today. We cannot have in heaven what we don't have today. We cannot work for our salvation to hope that we'll be saved when we get to heaven because it doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ offers us salvation today. He offers us the abundance today. And that abundance is so Christians should have an abundant life so that their circumstances should not overcome them, but they can overcome their circumstances. Right? It's our circumstance in God which is important. Not, I'm leaping ahead of myself. But it is our circumstances in God which is important. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many times have we prayed that prayer? I know I have. Not in a hallelujah, I can do all things through him that strengthens me, but with teeth gritted, back bowed, I can do all things through God who strengthens me. I don't want to belittle anyone's struggle this morning. I know that there are things that people are battling. And I know that sometimes taking that one step forward or getting up in the morning can be a victory. But there's more that God wants for us. At the time of writing this, Paul was actually in prison. He was facing trial, defending himself in Christianity, ultimately looking at his possible crucifixion himself. So what is the secret of abundant life? What is it that we're missing? This is where I'm going to share some of my life with you, some more of my life with you. You might learn more about me than what you might want to. Um, just so you know, I was born in St. Albans Baptist Church when we were in the old Thames Street buildings. There are people here today who looked after me when I was a baby. There were some people in here who went to youth group with me or who were my leaders in the youth group. I tell you this so you know... Thank you, Newton. <laughs> I tell you this so you know that I'm not being false because these people will be able to pick it. They might actually start to recognize, oh, that's why Paul did some of the things he did. Let's start with Promise Keepers last year. Thanks to Mike and Carl, we ended up sitting in the second row from the front. Not a place I would normally sit. I'm more of a back row sort of person, as you'll come to realize. <laughs> anyway, we were sitting behind the two, key, two of the key speakers for the day. And at the, end of the at the end of the session, one of them, Pastor Ian, turned around, looked me straight in the eye, put his hand on my chest, and said, I want to bless you as a father and a grandfather in the church. Next thing I knew, my head was on his shoulder and I was bawling my eyes out. I was saying, I was admitting to him, I don't know how to live in community. I'm tired of feeling utterly alone in the church. You see, as a kid, I was picked on at school, from primary school right through high school, pretty severely sometimes. I was made to feel like the outsider. I had kids come to me and said, look, I'd like to be your friend, but they've told me they'll beat me up if I am, so don't come near me. It was that sort of isolation. That, went, that feeling has gone with me for most of my life. Even at youth group, I didn't really feel like I belonged. I didn't really feel like... I was always on the outer edge of it until I got my driver's license, right? Uh, for those of you who are there at the time, you remember the, white toy the, the yellow Toyota van I used to drive? We'd pack everyone in the back of it, 
um, with Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday afternoons. I was driving. I had a reason to be there. I had a reason to belong. If people wanted a ride, they could come with me. They may not like me, but they had to accept me because otherwise they wouldn't get to where they were going. <laughs> the same, unfortunately, has been with several different churches that I've belonged to. I've been a youth leader. I've been a children's church leader. I've been a men's ministry leader. I've led teams to men's prison. And I've taken services out there. I've preached out there. Each time with the desire to serve God. But also with a deeper need to fit in. To prove that I belong. You see, I felt if I was an acknowledged leader within the church, if I was holding this position, then I had a right to be there. People had to accept me because I was in leadership. It's a bit scary admitting this. It's a motive that ultimately sowed the seeds for the failure of those ministries. Because if you're relying on what you do to make you fit, then as soon as circumstances change, as soon as you feel like you've been left out or you've been excluded, you no longer belong. And ultimately it would end up that we'd go and find a new church. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not that by yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Pastor Ian pointed out to me that I'd let my do dictate who my who was. I'll say that again. He let my do dictate, dictate my who. It wasn't my work that gave me value in God. It's God who gives me value. And it's my relationship with Jesus Christ that makes me belong. I can stand here today preach from this pulpit, one, because John has given me permission to, but two, because I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he gives me the authority to preach his word to his world. What we do needs to come out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. Anchored in the knowledge of our place in God and the love that he has for us. And it's only in that place that we can find our full potential. Yeah. It's the one thing I desire most, is to see people reach their full potential of what it is. Whether it's my apprentices at work, so they can reach the full potential of becoming an, a, pl a plumber, and what they're doing, whether it's in their lives, whether it's in, the, in their spiritual life. I want to see people reach that potential. We can't, we can't earn it. We can't strive it. We must surrender ourselves to God for it, especially in the spiritual. It's only when we surrender ourselves to God that we find out who we are in him.
As I said, I knew this. I taught this in all my ministry positions. And yet at that time, I still did not believe it in myself. The quickest way to hurt me was to make me feel that my work wasn't worth it. Right? The quickest way to hurt me was that what I was doing was a waste of time. I would much rather have been told off for doing nothing than for trying to do something and getting it wrong. So you can imagine what it's been like me for the last eight years. I said it's been a winter period. Take the earthquakes. The amount of buildings that I have worked on, that I have seen pulled down since, and in some cases during the earthquakes, we'd go in, we'd fix it, we'd get it working, people would move in for a couple of months, then they'd have to shift out and the whole building would come down. And all my work, gone. Worthless, useless, waste of time. Days of labour that I was proud of disappearing, sometimes months. You can imagine with my sickness, with the pain and everything else, I had to walk, step away from men's ministry in this church because I just couldn't find the energy or the time to do it. Things that I desired to do, I'd just have to come home, take drugs, chill out, relax. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. I was withdrawing down into myself not able to do much, and that was really, really hurting me, deeper than what I actually knew. True life only comes from Jesus and accepting what he sees of us and believing how God sees us. It comes from relationship with him, which means praying, talking, and listening to God, spending time with him. So what does God say about ourselves? What does God say about you? He calls you his children. He calls you his people, his royal priesthood. He caused us to be created. And he knew and loved us before we were even in our mother's womb. We are, the Bible says that we are engraved on the palms of his hands. When he looks at the palms of his hands, he sees us. We are that close to him. He says he will never leave us or forsake us. He sent his son to die for us that we should know him. And then he raised Jesus from the dead to show that he will raise us too to live with him in eternity. I've lost something. No, here we go. Remember when I said that having a spirit-filled life is part of the key? In Romans 8, 14 to 17, Paul says, For who, for all who are le being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters which cry out, 
Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in our lives, in our hearts. We become adopted sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Christ. And it's, I believe it's out of this truth, it's out of this understanding that we can live the abundant life, that we can live out of the overflow of God that he gives us. Because no matter what our circumstances in the world, it's the circumstance in God that is our constant. It's our circumstance in God that overcomes the circumstances of this world. I so love that song that we sung this morning, Mike. That was, that was absolutely fantastic. That, that was spot on. I felt it led into this quite nicely. We don't have to worry about what's out there because we have God. Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us, right? We have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, our lodestone, our touchstone, our cornerstone. From that relationship that we can build everything that we are. If I could have the music team come up, please. <clears throat> After these men prayed for me, we sang who you say I am. And it suddenly struck me that God told Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Jesus also made I am statements. And suddenly this song changed for me. The inflection went off me and onto God. I was no longer saying, I am who you say I am. But I was declaring with God, I am who you say I am. The last I am became a title. It's the name that God calls himself. And in singing this song, I was declaring that truth, his truth, his word over me, that I am the person that he says I am. So what about for you today? Where are you? Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're struggling through this life without that touchstone, without that cornerstone in your life. If that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you want to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I'd just like you to raise your hand at this point. And then after the service, after we have communion, I'll be down the front here. John, the elders will be here. And you can come forward. And we can pray with you and for you that you might know Jesus Christ. Is there anyone in that position at the moment? Secondly, you already know Jesus Christ in your life, but you're finding that struggle hard. You just, sometimes you find yourself sitting there, Father, God, I know you've got a plan, 
but I just don't see it. I invite you to stand up with me to sing this song, declaring God's truth over you, declaring his plan, declaring where you are in him. And then again, afterwards, after the service, after communion, come down and join us at the front here and we'll gladly pray for you that you'd get the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time in your life that you may know God's empowerment. So that's me. That's the word that I believe God has given me. And Mike, if you could lead us in worship, please. This day.